Alright guys, welcome back to another episode of the Fairly Lame Podcast. As always, my name is Dom and this is your home of good environmental news from all around the world. This is episode 49, I believe. And before we get into today's topics, another reminder to head over to Instagram at fairlylame underscore so you can catch all the graphics and visuals that go along with all of these stories. As well as uh, while you're over there, chuck on your notifications so you see each and every time I post a reel and you already know that it's going to be good environmental news. But these are the stories we're having a look at today. Ever the sniffer dogs helping save endangered whales off the west coast of America by tracking down their scat in the ocean. Coral feeders putting coral microfragments through resistance training by adjusting the water temperature and acidity in their tanks to try and ensure reefs for future generations. Hair's natural ability to hold on to oil makes it a promising resource for cleaning up oil spills in the ocean and on our roads. The world's largest wind turbine is now generating electricity and just one of them can power 36,000 homes. Mossy Earth helped bring life back to Portugal's Dora National Park by replanting 10,000 trees after the landscape was destroyed by wildfires back in 20. 17. And finally, fruit picking robots are already here and they could prove to be an incredible tool for reducing the massive amount of food waste generated by labour shortages on farms. And as always, if you come across any good environmental news or innovations that you think should be included in next week's podcast, make sure to either comment down below if you're watching on YouTube or send me a DM over on Instagram. But before we get into our first story, I've got to let you guys know that Four Oceans August cause is dolphins. So as always, for every bracelet sold, Four Ocean will remove one pound of plastic from the sea and your purchase helps support or help provide jobs for their full-time cleanup crews they employ all around the world, as well as the Balinese artisans who make the incredible bracelets. And you may have missed it. It's been couple of weeks, maybe even a month now, but they recently passed the absolutely incredible milestone of 30 million pounds of plastic removed from the ocean, which is absolutely amazing. If you guys want to learn more about what they're doing, their projects, uh, and you know, just suss them out as a business or company, all their links down in the description below. And while you're over there, if you decide to pick anything up, make sure to use the code fairly lame or one word for 20% off, but into our first story. So Ever is a remarkable sniffer dog who's helping save endangered whales off the west coast of America by tracking down their scat. And I think it's only right to start with her incredible journey from being abandoned at the Sacramento Animal Shelter. When she was found, the tiny two-week-old Pitbull Corgi Terrier mix was in extremely poor condition due to being left outside in the cold rain. But after months of care and a few different stints in foster homes that should occasionally escape from every now and then, she was adopted to become the beloved family pet of Dr. Deborah Giles, a whale researcher. However, in her boundless energy and love for playing with the ball, Deborah saw some potential in her to become a sniffer dog. And pretty soon she started training Ebba with the help of conservation canines, an organisation that rescued and skills up dogs so they can be used to help protect wildlife. In this case, her destiny was to find the scat of the 71 southern resident killer whales, offering scientists crucial information such as their diet, potential pregnancies, and the levels of toxic substances ingested. And although she doesn't have the most sought-after bloodline, Ebba's low center of gravity makes her perfect for working on the water as she can confidently move across the boat and focus on finding the little nuggets of gold. Equipped with her very own doggy life jacket and rec specs to shield her eyes from the elements, Ebba can detect scats from up to one nautical mile away. But as she can't just lead her handless there like a dog on land could, pinpointing the scats is often a series of zigzags with Ebba running from side to side on the boat until the humans are close enough to see and collect it. After each successful find, Ebba's rewarded with her beloved ball and some well-deserved rest and water until her keen sense of smell leads her to another important discovery. And so we're going to be staying in the ocean for most of the stories today and the next one we're looking at is about a new kind of coral farming. Scientists are revolutionising coral growth, achieving up to 50 times faster and more resilient results by effectively putting coral fragments through resistance training. Despite covering just 1% 
percent of the seafloor, coral ecosystems play a critical role in supporting over 1 billion people and a quarter of all marine life, yet projections suggest that over 90% of these ecosystems may vanish by 2050. However, Coral Vita's dedicated team is working to secure these reefs for future generations through their groundbreaking land-based operations which has two massive benefits. These being that conventional ocean-based farms remain vulnerable to climate disasters such as bleaching events and typhoons, and the tanks also allow them to work on a wider variety of corals. And to make them more resilient, they gradually adjust the water temperature and acidity to what they say take the corals to the gym and enhance their capacity to adapt to the changing oceans. The hardened corals are also then selectively paired to reproduce with the aim of yielding offspring that have even greater resilience. And to get them to grow 50 times faster, they cut the healthy coral into micro fragments and space them out on a coral cookie. Then as they grow, they'll eventually fuse back together and form a significantly larger piece than the single original fragment could achieve. Their funding as a for-profit organisation comes from things like dive operators, hotels, or really any organisation that benefits from a healthy coral reef. And that could even be insurance companies as the reefs have the ability to protect shoreline infrastructure by reducing wave energy by up to 97%. And even though they are for-profit, they only accept jobs for reefs that are ready and able to be restored. For example, they wouldn't accept to work on one that's actively being blast fished. Instead, they'd redirect resources to an area where the corals have a greater chance of establishing. At the moment, Coral Vita's farm produces 30,000 corals per year, but they plan on expanding their existing sites and establishing new ones all around the world to scale this up into the millions. And so our next story ties in quite nicely regarding, you know, improving and cleaning up not only coral reefs, but areas all over the sea and even on our streets, uh, and you wouldn't believe it, by using human hair. Human hair can be woven into mats or stuffed into sausages to help clean up oil spills. So the standard way to clean up an oil spill is to use chemical dispersants, skim it off the surface of the water, or even just burn it. But after Phil McRory, an American hairstylist saw how oil stuck to the fur of otters, he began to wonder if human hair had similar properties and whether it could be used to clean up the spills. So to test this out, he took home some clippings from his salon, stuffed them into his wife's stockings, and was able to remove a layer of oil from a bucket of water. And then when NASA conducted its own investigation and validated Phil's findings, support for the initiative rapidly grew and people all around the world were sending in hair to support the cause. Building on this success, a business partner joined Phil to start a formal organisation and within just four days, they received over 750,000 pounds of hair. And it's not just human hair that can be used either. You can send in pet fur, feathers and even laundry lint. The hair mats and sausages can be used for a variety of things, whether it's to block off and contain an oil spill in a marina, or they could even be placed around a drain to prevent oil from running off our roads and into the ocean. Or they could even be fashioned into a wall and dragged through a spill to retrieve oil in the water column, though this does require a bit more testing. And so once the hair has effectively cleaned up a spill, a three-step process is employed for remediation. First, it's treated with oyster mushrooms to begin breaking down some of the oil, is then mixed in a 1 to 9 ratio with green waste to be thermally composted, and finally, when the mixture is safe enough, it's further broken down by worms to produce fertile compost. And so our next story is about another energy source in the ocean, except it doesn't cause nearly as much damage as oil spills. The world's largest offshore wind turbine has been connected to the grid and just one of these 16 megawatt monsters will be able to power 36,000 homes. Standing as tall as a 52-story building, it can generate nearly 35 kilowatt hours per rotation, resulting in an impressive estimated yearly output of 66 gigawatt hours. This massive turbine was installed in the Taiwan Strait to utilize a natural wind tunnel between Taiwan and China that experienced near gale conditions for over 200 days per year. And considering the area's history of typhoons, the turbine was specifically designed to withstand wind speeds of nearly 300 kilometers an hour. You wouldn't believe it, but it sounds like it won't be the most powerful turbine for too much longer, as China's State Shipbuilding Corporation has already started working on an 18 megawatt one. Last year, China's total wind energy capacity reached an impressive 366 gigawatts, exceeding Europe's capacity by 120 and doubling that of North America. And an astonishing 95% of this was installed after 2010, meaning that a lot of the projects are using more efficient technology compared to places like America where this figure is at about 78%. And so our next 
story is actually about Mossy Earth's first ever restoration project. If you tuned in last week, you may remember the story about the golden kelp forest regeneration or restoration using green gravel. Well, this is the first one they ever completed. Mossy Earth is helping bring back life to Portugal's Douro National Park after it was devastated by wildfires back in 2017. In recent years, Portugal's been the European country most affected by wildfires, and these events have grown increasingly intense due to both climate change, but also people leaving agricultural properties for life in the city. This migration of people to urban areas leaves behind unmanaged lands with unnatural species compositions that become massive fuel sources when overgrown. But so after the wildfires, Mossy Earth wanted to speed up the return of native trees to these lands, and so they started replanting them on the slopes that received the most water and had relatively fertile soil. However, the intense fire left little vegetation to hold the dirt in place, so when it rained, all the ashy, nutrient-rich topsoil just washed into nearby streams and caused all sorts of issues. And this lack of soil also meant that digging the holes for the trees was that much harder as the pickaxe was just constantly bouncing off rocks. Nonetheless, they persevered and successfully planted 10,000 trees of 10 different native species, and as it's only been a couple years, they're not yet massive, but it's looking promising. And so Mossy will continue to help restore the landscape by monitoring tree survival and reproduction, replanting the thousands of unsuccessful trees, and managing invasive species. Interestingly, where this restoration took place, a large reason why the fire didn't continue to spread was due to the presence of native wild horses, which had been returned to the area as a part of a rewilding project. And this is because the trampling and the grazing of the horses kept the vegetation in check, so the fire just burnt out. And I wonder if their work containing this fire will see horses reintroduced into more of not only Portugal, but their natural home ranges all around the world. And on to our last story for this week's episode of the Fairly Lame Podcast. And before we get into it, another reminder to keep sending your good environmental news or initiatives over to at Fairly Lame on Instagram. Fruit picking robots are here to help combat the massive amount of food waste generated by a lack of labour. In 2022, the value of food wasted in the UK due to labour shortages was estimated to be 60 million pounds. And during this time, the cost of living continued to rise and the UK recorded its driest July in almost 90 years. So in light of this, Dogtooth Technologies took on the challenge of developing robots that could be deployed globally to help alleviate the issue. They're designed to operate out of a shipping container and last year the company had 70 of them working across 5 hectares worldwide. These robots feature rugged tracks to manoeuvre various terrains, LED lights, cameras for 3D fruit detection and two arms each with 6 points of articulation. They then delicately locate ripe berries and then grip and cut the stems to prevent any bruising and reduce the risk of spreading any fungus or pests that may be living on the actual fruit. Depending on the season or how the farmer intends to use the produce, the robots can be easily programmed through a web app to change the parameters around berry grade and ripeness. And so once picked, the berries drop down into an inspection chamber where it's scanned for 17 types of defects. Then depending on the result, the berries either dropped into a waste chute or straight into a punnet ready for retail. And although the robots currently operate at one quarter of human speed, their ability to work multiple shifts in a day, including overnight, evens it out. And you would assume that this will eventually lead to job losses for backpackers and the swords, but maybe this transition will just be like the introduction of the tractor and allow humans to focus on less repetitive and more challenging jobs around the farm. And so yeah, that would do us for episode 49 of the Fairly Lame Podcast. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that episode. As always, let me know down below on YouTube or over on Instagram. Uh, and yeah, have an incredible rest of the day. Whatever the hell you're doing, we'll see you guys next week. See ya.